I have to say, because it's one of the more interesting things that I found in this work, I have seen a direct correlation between how vulnerable people are willing to make themselves and how successful they are. The people that are closed and live in fear, I don't do as well with them and they don't do as well. The folks that come with an open mind and it's like, let it hang out. Those are the folks that I see rising quickly. And those are the folks that are, are willing to like take as much help as I can give. And uh, that's, that's just such a rewarding experience. Welcome to No More Bad Events, a fun and insightful podcast for professional event organizers and for anyone at any level interested in producing nothing but the best events. Each week, we'll talk with legendary event professionals to get an inside look into what they think makes a great event. And in the process, we'll draw out insider secrets, non-traditional approaches, and compelling stories from the most captivating personalities in the business. We'll definitely get the skinny on reaching that one big goal. No more bad events. I'm your host, Scott Bloom, comedian, event MC, and now your podcast host. Let's get started. No More Bad Events is produced and presented by eSpeakers, the most trusted, easy-to-use, full-service online platform for finding, connecting with, and hiring the best keynote speakers, hosts, and presenters in the world. With the deepest catalog of professionals available through the eSpeakers marketplace, you can be assured that the speaker you book will be the absolute best speaker based on your goals, bar none. eSpeakers, the number one way to find your next perfect speaker. For more information, go to eSpeakers.com. Hello, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Welcome to the show. Because I'm only talking to one person, right? It's one set of ears that are listening to this, unless you're listening to it on uh, on speakers. I don't think most people listen to a podcast on speakers. So I'm just talking to this one person, which is you. And uh, personally, what I love about this show, besides getting some great event professionals, everyone from producers, creative directors, event planners, hospitality experts, we run the gamut of all different types of guests. But what I personally like is that I get a chance to reconnect with friends and colleagues who I might have worked with in the past. I haven't worked with them for a while. And we get to sit down and chat, which I don't always have a chance to do. And today is one of those episodes where I get to basically hang out with someone who I've been working with on and off for the past 25 years. One of my oldest friends and colleagues in the industry. And he heard I had this podcast or he might have seen it in a newsletter and said, hey, he emailed me. He said, Scott, I'd love to be a guest on your show. And I said, absolutely. Gary is uh, one of the top creative directors in this industry. He's been around. Uh, he's also now a, a speech writer and speaker coach and has been working in the events world for, I don't know, almost 30 plus years, I think. And Gary has worked on hundreds of events, primarily in the tech and pharma industries. Gary refers to himself as a writer, an idea shaper, and storyteller. And he tells some great stories about his time behind the scenes and on site for, for big events. As a creative director, he always comes up with great concepts that strategically bring clients' objectives to life. 
He prides himself on building trust with his clients so they feel comfortable taking big creative swings, which ultimately translates into better experiences for the audience. We talk about one of his proudest moments as a creative director when he produced a competitive team-building experience for a pharma launch in Hawaii, which I was lucky enough to be part of. I actually hosted that event, and I'll never forget being backstage in the wings just before I go on stage. And he's like, Scott, remember, as a host, there's only three things you have to keep in mind. I'm like, yeah, Gary, what, what's that? He goes, one, you can't curse. You have to keep it clean. I, I got that, Gary. Second thing is you need to make a seamless transition. Okay, I got that too, Gary. And the third thing is you can't mess up the executive's name. And I go, hey, I've been doing this for a while. I, I got that. So I get on stage, and it's in a almost an arena seating. It's a raised, raked seating of around 1,000 people. Everyone's pumped up. They're rowdy. They're about to go into a big competition. And I was, I was feeling good. I was feeling excited to be there. And I'm getting the audience pumped up. And I go for my big introduction of the area manager. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your Southeast area manager, Orlando Jones. And I proudly walk off stage. And I see the executive walk out. He's giving me kind of a funny look. And as I'm walking into the wings, Gary's looking at me a little disappointed. I'm like, what, what, what's up? He goes, his name's Orlando Caesar. Oh, okay. Well, one of the three things I guess I just screwed up. Orlando Jones was a big actor at the time, and I was just so full of myself at the time. I thought, man, I, I nailed it, but, but I did it. Anyway, Gary is here. He's strategic, he's funny, and he's seen it all. At this point, he needs no introduction, but as a professional MC, I feel only right to give him a proper professional introduction. So everyone, please welcome to the podcast, a living legend, Gary Foreground. Damn it. So close. Uh, we'll just uh, edit that out. Anyway, here's my conversation with my buddy, Gary Foreman. I think why people like to work with you is you not only have the background of business, but you've always been smart. I mean, you're, you're a really good writer. <laughs> we used to joke about, you remember how I used to talk to you about how I was the dumbest of the smart kids? And I think you claim to be <laughs> the smartest of the dumb kids, right? It wasn't that your, your claim to fame? Did we have, we, we both met each other at that one place. That sounds familiar and funny. So you've been doing this for a long time now, decades. How do you think the work has evolved over the years or, or your work specifically? Well, in terms of my work, you know, obviously you start as a writer, you're working on smaller events, a creative director, you know, as, as I'm sure you've seen in your own career with time, you gather experience, which I think is the single most valuable thing when it comes to this work. Just knowing, knowing what works, knowing what doesn't, knowing how to deal with people of all stripes, having done so many things. And with experience, I'm able to be more selective about the projects that I take on. I find myself, you know, the events work has also led to a lot of speech writing and sort of strategic communications work because you get involved in events. They say, hey, we could use some speech writing help. So you're working with the VP of sales or the CEO or some senior person to who wants help with their speech. That goes great. There's a relationship. And then the then the next time they need to deliver something important, you know, I get reached out to and say, hey, can you continue to work with us on some stuff? So I love that. You know, I also, I'm a theater guy. I love theater. I, I was at a show last night. I was at the opening night of Camelot. You can get my review later. So I love that. So I just, you know, I 
I just love being on site and pulling stuff together. So it's it's become, uh, you know, it's kind of become two pronged: uh, continuing the events work, and then you know, some more strategic communications focused work with senior execs that I largely meet through events world. Well, I'm sure based on your your background, I'm sure you tend to go towards the more theatrical stuff. But I know you do a lot of strategic communication. You work with a lot of executives, helping them to become better presenters. Tell me a little bit more about that experience, because I know you've been doing that deeply for the last several years. Yeah. So as I said, it, it happens a lot of times the relationship starts through an event and they're Again, I love the theater part, but also, you know, my education and the first part of my career was just pretty businessy. Again, typically when I work with a senior executive, these are bright people, successful people, motivated people, and secure enough to be able to say, I'm willing to make myself vulnerable and share openly with an outsider who can help me raise my game in terms of presentation. And that's like, you know, so it goes deep, you know. Many clients have commented, this feels like therapy. I love getting to know you know people who are smart, well-meaning, motivated, and who are willing to work to be great when they have this opportunity to stand up in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people. So the collaborative nature of that process, being able to have someone, you know, a client get up on a stage, feel like the speech is completely theirs because it is, it's their, it's their stuff that I have helped enhanced shape pump up, but it is their work. And I've, I've, I've helped them with delivery and seeing them succeed and bask in that glow. It's, it's a great feeling. And I've, you know, developed some great relationships out of that. I, I, I have to say, cause it's one of the more interesting things that I found in this work. I have seen a direct correlation between how vulnerable people are willing to make themselves and how successful they are. The people that are closed and live in fear, I don't do as well with them and they don't do as well. The folks that come with an open mind and it's like, let it hang out. Those are the folks that I see rising quickly. And those are the folks that are are willing to like take as much help as I can give. And uh, that's that's just such a rewarding experience, the personal nature of that and a nice balance to the you know size and scope of the big events that you and I both work on. Yeah, I mean, that must be really sort of satisfying taking a client who maybe is a little insecure about not just their presentation skills, about their story. You know, we talked before we got on about your newsletter, Mind Mint, and I really enjoy it because it's always great nuggets of, of wisdom, some great thoughts to think about. I remember when you had one, I think the title was something called You Got This, and it was about you. You worked with an executive and, you know, you spent a lot of time, I'm sure, you know, with their presentation and getting them, you know, to, to remind them that it's it's a powerful story and how to craft it. But what she was most excited about was your cheerleading. She, you know, she really liked the fact that you got her comfortable in that space as being a presenter. How important is that? Uh, you know, we were talking about being authentic, but, you know, we have a lot of event professionals that listen to this. Why would someone benefit from hiring someone like you for their executives to have an actual speech coach? Because I don't see it a lot when I'm out there. So it's a great question. And for me, you know, I am first and foremost a writer, an idea shaper. And so, the, you know, the number one benefit is I can take your message and enhance it. 
you know, I'm a storyteller. I think structurally, I know how to take a bunch of, a client comes to me with, here are the six things that are most important to me. And I'm able to ask the right questions to prioritize them. I'm able to put them into a, a shape. It's still all their ideas, but it feels like them. So, so first and foremost, it's enhancement of the message. Secondly, it's delivery. You know, it's it's how to work a stage, you know, how to use your voice properly, how to use the power of pauses and how to move. In the case that you're talking about from a, a recent mindment, and this this was a fairly junior person, it was a manager level, not, you know, not even director or VP. And I just I reminded her throughout the process that what you're presenting is great stuff. Cause she was rolling out this tool that the sales force like was dying to get. I said, you have a great story and your audience is going to love that because I just knew from experience and I knew enough about the organization that they would. And so that reminder, and it was the last thing I left her with when we wrapped up our last rehearsal, I said, don't forget, you know, you've got a great message and now, and your story is tight and you're going to kill it. And when she wrote me a thank you note, it was that piece, you know, you're letting me, you're giving me the confidence that what I had was good and was going to work. That's what enabled me to stand up there and deliver it like that. So I think it is real important to get speakers to to realize, hey, you're there for a reason. You do have something, you know, important to say. And I think they do need to be coached, not just, I mean, you are a master. I mean, I've seen you work before. You were a master at storytelling, getting them to take what might seem very sort of complex and you find a way to to break it down and make it digestible for the audience, make it interesting for the audience. But also there's that other element of getting them to be comfortable on stage and letting them know that, you know, you're not just trying to you know, get to point A and point B as fast as you can, you're there to share something. You're there to give something. I think that's very powerful. So I think this is a good time to disclose. We've done a lot of work together. We've done dozens of shows together. I remember one of my earlier pitches you were in. Do you remember that pitch we did with Ed? Yes. Ed Wallman's? Yeah. I think it was like a talk show. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. But you also helped, because I know you have that marketing background, you also developed some of my promotional material. And I was flattered when you and Ben reached out for help with that. And uh, yeah, I'm proud. I, b- I believe that the tagline that I still see on your stuff, the power of laughter, the language of business, I believe that was- my- Yes, no, that's exactly it. That came from you and we're loving it. We just, you know, we just had a new speaker reel come out. We plastered that all over it because I think you heard what it is that I'm doing and you found a way to really sort of crystallize it. I thought that was great. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think part of the reason we've worked together so much is that I ask for you frequently because I am a believer in the power of you where delivered in the language of business. And, you know, without making this too much about you, Scott, because that's the last thing I want to do, you do that, you do that better than anyone I know and the audience and the client benefits. So uh, I appreciate that. So what do you think humor fits in? To your work, do you get to incorporate comedy in a lot of your events? Are you looking to bring humor to the the arena? I love to, you know, I I love to. I think laughter is great. To be honest, most clients have a limited tolerance for that. It's a little bit risky. So I find humor comes into play more in the process leading up to the event. I can't help but let my sense of humor out in meetings. And again, part of the benefit of the experience is I've learned how to deploy humor, walk up to the line and 99% of the time not cross it, something that I know you're familiar with, Scott. And I think that's a huge part of why people like working 
with me. I We're doing creative work. If it's not fun, what are we doing here? And so, you know, I found a way to have fun in as many meetings as possible. You know, a line here, a line there, and people loosen up and it breeds connection that breeds openness and we enjoy the process more. And so re- really humor is more important as it plays a bigger role backstage for me than, you know, very often that, than on the stage. Don't you feel it also just sort of sets the tone? You know, we, we always talk about how everything comes from the top down in leadership. As far as the program, you're kind of taking that leadership role. They're looking to you. You seem real comfortable before. I'm sure that's part of it as well. That sort of shift you said from going from, hey, don't forget this, to going, hey, you're going to kill it out there. You're going to have a great time. Just remember everything we talked about. Don't you feel that you're there to not only champion them, but to also put them at ease? And that, that humor does a lot of that. That's very true. Yeah, that's very true. And especially, you know, one of the things I, I was eager to talk about is, as I got ready for this conversation, Scott, was, you know, one of my favorite things has become being on site and having the headset on and being on stage and being the, you know, sometimes a stage manager will play that role or the deck manager. I love doing it. So I'm hearing the crew, you know, in one ear and understanding what they have to do and when they need time to fix a cue and communicating that with the client and also coaching the client, helping them to understand how it all works together, loosening them up as part of the process and tightening up the show, you know, letting the crew know it's like, hey, know that, you know, that cue wasn't tight enough and letting the speaker know, okay, walk on when you hear your first name, don't wait for the, your whole name to be said. The little things that that add up to change the energy in the room. You know, I've, I've become a, li- a little bit of an energy junkie. Like to me, it's just so much about the kind of energy, and that that's true in a meeting, in a creative meeting when there are six people, and it's true in a ballroom, you know, of twenty five hundred people. It's like this magical quality of the, the energy in the room, and it's it's so delicate and it's so easily shattered. You know that it takes a lot of work, and a lot of a lot of the work I find myself doing on site is just you know working with the the technical crew on the tightening of things. You know, I'll, t- I'll tell one story. I wrote a, a several speeches for a client, a software company recently. Their meeting was wildly successful by their standards, and it's a bigger meeting than they've ever done. And the client, unfortunately, they ran out of budget and couldn't bring me on site, but sent me the videotape shortly after that they were so proud of. I watched the tape. So my client was the first person to speak after the video. The opening video plays, that's fine. There's three seconds of silence after that. And then there's a voiceover introducing my client. So three second gap, energy killer. Voiceover is too long. It's done in the wrong, you know, and doesn't have the right energy. So voiceover ends, another two seconds of silence. Music comes in, they'd specially selected a theme song, but it's not chewed up to the point that hits. So we have to wait. And then my client decided to enter from the back of the room, something I never would have let him do because it was great. He comes up, but it like takes a while to get to the fries. So the applause dies that. He gets to the stage, no one's applauding, but they keep the music. So like literally I made a, a list. There were eight things before the first word in this meeting was spoken. There were eight things that helped to suck the energy out, all of which had I been you know, on site because it's the crew's just worried about not making a mistake. You know something that looks like a mistake, but when when you have someone there that that notices these things and cares, I find these are 
for the most part, overwhelmingly talented people, the stage managers, the lighting designers, the, the sound guys, like give them the incentive and they they rally because so much of the time they're bored because these shows are all the same. So just I just love being there when I can say, you know, let's cue up to the song to the right spot. Let's do a sound check and make sure it's hitting at the right volume level. Let's make sure we tighten the space between you know, the end of the VO introduction and the start of the play on music. Let's make sure the client's in the right position to get to the stage. You know, all those those little things that you learn over time that I think can make a gigantic difference. Fortunately, the speech that the guy delivered was, you know, absolutely incredible. Yeah, but I know what you're talking about, you know, especially, you know, your love of theater. It's that, you know, we're looking at the whole production. It's not just individual beats and stuff everything has to come together i know that yes those energy sucks you know where there's a pause there i mean that kills me you know as my role as host i have some some say in during rehearsal hey you know we need to tighten this up i mean at some point i'm, I'm acting as a little bit as a producer you know as well but i also know about this whole idea of the energy just being right you feel it. it it's going throughout the whole meeting but i think i i felt that in that experience we had together in hawaii we talked about the crestor uh, event that was a big launch for uh what was it what was the uh pharma company was that pfizer astrazeneca astrazeneca right astrazeneca so you were the creative director on that and i'm sure it's a, an event i know people are still talking about it not the fact that i think we were in hawaii for two weeks we were in maui that part was great but you had this whole competitive arena and it was for the launch of Crestor. Tell me a little bit about that event. You know, where did you start from? Where was the inception of that idea? And then take us through, you know, just being there and why it was such a big success. Yeah, thanks for remembering that and for, for queuing that up. So, you know, it was long enough ago that the product we were launching is now off patent. So not to age myself, but it was in this millennium. <laughs> yeah, right. So this was, I was part of the team at uh, MJM. I was a freelancer, but working with them almost full time, basically for a decade, the same team was working on that account. And there was so much trust, so much knowledge, institutional knowledge that we were able to push the boundaries in many ways. Crestor was a huge launch. The biggest pharmaceutical in the world at that time was Lipitor in the statin category. And this was a product with a better, significantly better clinical profile in Lipitor. So this was it for AstraZeneca, you know, the, the biggest thing ever. They were spending big and it was all about beating Lipitor and that was Pfizer and they were the big bad guy. The audience was about 3,200, 3,500. And we realized that in that giant convention center room, there was only so much of that magic energy that we could get going. So we built the meeting around rotations. We divided the audience into four parts, two regions each that would travel from experience to experience. And the concept was to let's have one of these experience be pure motivation. Let's take every trick in the book and put it in this one room because juice was important. We decided to use sort of the competitive arena as a metaphor and boxing as sort of the centerpiece of it. We were able to by cutting the audience in fours, we were able to have audiences that was closer to a thousand than the 3,500. We were able to build rate seatings and create an arena type feeling. So all the tricks I had, so that meant bringing in Scott Blue, both to host and to run a competition where the two regions represented would compete based on knowledge presented at the meeting. We brought in a cast, Belinda Buckley directed, and we cast these actors who could rap and it turned into because rapping was a good metaphor for the boxing, and each of the actors represented a competitor. So we had Pfizer, 
um, right. Mark Merck and Crystal Myers Squibb. <laughs> I remember the le- Crystal Myers Squibb. That's my married name because it was high. For- anyway, right. uh, still have many good memories. And so there was rap, there was game show competition. There was a boxing ring that rose from the deck. We had the ring announcer and the mic that dropped. Didn't did the- we play Rock'em Sock'em Robots? And I believe, yes. So one aspect of the competition that I believe was your idea. I think I'm kind of editing. Yeah. It was, and like I could still see the iMag on the Rock'em Sock'ems and the. I've never had an audience get that crazy before or since. And I can understand why, because we designed it. It's like, take the boring stuff and out, you know, move it out. So let me ask you this. If you could wave your uh, magic wand and change one thing about the industry, what would it be? You know, I would say my best experience was in the, and really, which was the, you know, the best experience for the audience was very much a function of trust, the trust that had been built over years between the client and the production company, you know, and the creative team. And because we've been working together for years, that level of trust enabled them to feel safe taking risks. And that was so invaluable. And that it worked not only on the Crestor launch, but so many launches, big and small. So I guess if there were, you know, one thing I would want to change, it would be you know, to somehow find a way to have longer relationships, to not have every single thing be a competitive bid. And, you know, so that relationships are only one meeting long. You know, there's got to be a way to, you know, build relationships that can last and get enriched over time. I think that ultimately delivers better results for the clients. I understand cost pressures. I understand, you know, procurement policies, but I can't give up on the the idea of building relationships that lead to more more knowledge and more trust and ultimately better experiences for the audience and the client. What other changes do you see going into the future? Do you see anything, you know, I know you want, you're talking about having better relationships, trusting more. Do you think there's a reason why people might not be, be a little bit more hesitant? You know, what, what's, what's the big shift right now? So the shift and this is not right now, but it's been going on for years is, you know, and frankly, when I got into the business, you know, in the, in the mid 1800s, I actually creative directed the launch of, of leeches. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Leech, as well as aspirin. So when I first got into the business, I have to say the money, some of the money being spent was ridiculous. Like money was flaw. I could not believe what people were spending money on. There's less of that now for better and for worse. You know, that's the way business is, always more cost conscious. So there's that belt tightening, which leads to the procurement department getting involved, which leads to, you know, bidding every single job, which leads to, you know, maybe going with the cheapest bid. So I think that the ongoing cost pressures, and I'm, before I predict the future, I'll clarify that my predictions are, um, I have like a, a 98% failure rate on anything I predict. So take that with a grain of salt. But maybe I'll be right on this 2%. I think there are going to be, you know, events are expensive, both for the company producing the event and for attendees to, you know, to get there and be there out of the office. I think there's going to be increasing pressures to, I think there are going to be fewer events. And I think the ones that survive are going to have to work harder to be exceptional. I think it's going to be harder and harder to like, oh yeah, we did this conference last year. Well, anniversary it this year. I think more people are looking, well, why, what are we getting out of this event? And on from the attendees side, it's like, what are we getting from the, you know, from the thousands of dollars we're spending to send you to this event? And so I think events are going to just need to work harder 
to justify their value. And I think part of that, you know, the good news is I think we're going to be challenged more to like to be exceptional because otherwise, like if it's just going to be a, a, a event, it's like, eh, you know, people aren't going to fight to get there. And you want events that's like, here's why I have to get to that event. And here's, you know, this is the reason why. Here's why we have to spend this money, you know, to create this, you know, really unique experience to, you know, help accomplish our goals. I fear there may be fewer events, but I think the the ones that live are gonna are gonna work harder, do more, and hopefully be you know be more fun and rewarding to work on. I think that's why now it's even more important to bring in experts, bring in people like yourself, you know, who have the experience to bring it to an exceptional level. Because everyone is asking, hey, we're taking everyone out of the field, we're bringing them here for this period of time. They need to get something, you know, definitely out of it. So. You know, as we've been talking, you've been in this business for for decades and decades. You had the experience of launching leeches and aspirin. If you were to share one tip with someone who just was entering the industry, what what would that be? I would say congratulations. Thanks for entering. We need you. You know, one of the things I've noticed, and it's true of our relationship, Scott, is that I am still working 25 years later with many of the same people I worked with 25 years ago. And I don't see that many young people because it's a weird little, it's a weird little corner of the world. I don't know if, how people find out about it. Mine was a fluke. And so I've had so much fun here. I, you know, I, I hope more people discover this. I think we have, I think we have to do a better job of having more young people come in. And I have to say at more, you know, more diversity, you know, a lot of times, most of the time in my experience, uh, clients are well ahead of the event side, or certainly at least the production side, in terms of the the diversity of the people. So I think I think we'd be well served by working hard to bring more diversity into our ranks, and we'll be better able to serve our clients who are already well ahead of us in terms of diversifying their ranks. And that's going to lead to you know better things for the clients and and better things for us on the production and, and event side. You are a master at so many different things. If someone was to hire you for one thing, what would you like to come and show up as? What is your sort of dream job and how do you bring the most value to an event professional and to the event overall? That's a great question and thank you for it, Scott. So even before we get to me, it's about who is hiring me. And th- that's so important. That's one of the benefits of experience is that I I can be more selective. So first and foremost is me looking for a, a company who wants to aim for the top, that is committed to bringing in experts and doing things differently. So that's literally, that comes before whatever my role might be. You know, ideally, I love to come on as a creative director to help shape the entire experience. And that will often lead to other things. If it's like, okay, our CEO wants help with this keynote, you know, and then I can step in and do that. But as creative director, being able to work with the the scenic designer and and lighting and graphics and sort of bring the the whole thing to life, you know, hearkening back to that creative arena, one of the reasons it was successful is we had a clear vision, you know, a clear metaphor that everyone that touched it. From the graphic designer that did the the shadowy boxing logo, you know, to the sound guy, to the lighting folks, to the actors, everyone could lean into the same idea. And you know, being at the helm of that and seeing a concept come to life in 3D with a thousand people in the room four times a day, 
for the rotation, you know, and then seeing seeing the clients' faces as the audience, you know, erupted in laughter and applause. It doesn't get better than that. And so, uh, yes, if you're if you're if you're one of those clients, I'd love to help you. I'll probably recommend Scott Bloom. Uh, yeah, that's probably that's why I'm trying to get you in there. I know that I'm your go-to guy, so I think you know, be a nice uh, one-two punch. Uh, you know, it's clear you know talking to you and knowing you for years that you're you're passionate about what you're doing. You're always looking to you know to bring your best to get the best out of the client and to have an overall great experience for the audience. And that's you know that's something that everyone's looking for. And as we said, as we're moving forward, and you know there might be less meetings. Each meeting needs to count. And in order to make a meeting exceptional, you need to have people who are at the top of their game helping you out. So I hope event professionals who are listening to this realize that there are resources out there, there are people that can help them. Gary, I don't normally do this, but you're a good friend. If someone wants to get in touch with you, it'll be in the show notes. What's the best way to reach you? GaryForeman.com. And there is no E in Foreman. It's- you know, I, I found that out when I was doing my notes. I had to go look back. Is there an E? So George Foreman's with an E, Gary Foreman, because you're for the man and the woman and any other diversity in between. Yes. And non-binary. You could be changing your name to Gary for everyone. Okay. I'm going to use that. Thank you. I think so. It's Gary. It won't won't be the first thing I stole from you, Scott. (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm honored. Thanks, Gary. It's always great to catch up with you. It was great seeing you and good luck in the coming year. No more bad events, baby. Not that we ever had any. I'm wondering, we should probably change this, this, this podcast name to only exceptional events, but that was taken. Thanks, Gary. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. That's it for now. I've been your host, Scott Bloom, corporate event MC and comedic keynote speaker. And of course, your connoisseur of connections. Oh, by the way, if you're interested, you can book me for your next event on eSpeakers Marketplace at eSpeakers.com forward slash marketplace. And if you like what you heard, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you loved what you heard, drop us a review and don't forget to share with your friends. No More Bad Events is produced and presented by eSpeakers. Thanks so much for listening. Now go out and make your event a great one.